This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Melissa Moretti. And Melissa, you are filling in for Matt today, who is in Tofino for his birthday week. Happy birthday, Matt. Yeah, happy birthday, Matt. He's uh, undisclosed how old he's turning, but uh, he's over the hill. Fairly old, yes. Fairly, Fairly old. But Matt is actually, yeah, so he's away for this week. You're filling in. You weren't actually involved in the interview this week, but it was like, Off the charts, Craig Anderson, VP of sales from Magnum Projects, was in Kokomo Studios. This is about two or three weeks ago, but what a great conversation. I'm excited to hear more. Yeah. Well, here's, here's, before we get to that, you shared on the thread a photo of Matt closing a deal on a garbage can. (laughs) Uh, In honor of his birthday. uh, Right. I, I had a candid photo of him doing business on a garbage bin in the back alley. It's he's like the Oscar the Grouch of uh, real estate agents. <laughs> he was like literally had all of his papers on a on like a garbage bin, phone in hand, phone cof- in hand. Get co- a coffee. Do you think that should be his new headshot? <laughs> Let's share that on uh, on Instagram. I think but, I'm going to. I think I'm going to make it our new profile picture. It's worth know, it. If you haven't checked us out on Instagram, because because you do a lot on our Instagram, you're kind of the face of our Instagram, I would say. I post once in a while, yeah. Yeah. And so it's if you're not following us, it's at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram. It's worth a follow. Like there's some good information in your videos. I mean, just to see this photo of Matt doing business on a garbage can. On a garbage can. It's worth it. Yeah. See, Matt is yeah one of the hardest working people in this business. There was actually a table available. He chose, he opted <laughs> for the garbage can. That's the weirdest part of this. This episode with Craig Anderson is phenomenal. A couple of things we talk about, where's the market going? What's happening in pre-sale? What are the challenges for developers right now? What are the areas that Craig is excited about? And I should say Craig is a, a past guest, fan favorite. He's been on the show, I think it was about three or four years ago now, but staple in the industry. Everybody knows who Craig Anderson is. And his ideas on the market and everything, it's just, it's top notch. So it's, it's going to be a fantastic episode. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, without further ado, let's cut to this conversation with Craig Anderson, VP of sales at Magnum Projects. All right, let's go. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the lower mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. 
Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sonehouse, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sonehouse offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Craig Anderson, VP of Sales at Magnum Projects. How you doing, Craig? Uh, wonderful. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me back. It's been a couple of years. I was going to say past guest fan favorite. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming down to the studio, Craig. Yeah, live in Kokomo Studios here. And uh, I actually, we just had a beer in the park the other day. You were going to Top Gun Maverick. Oh, yes. I got a, how, how, did, how was it? If you haven't been to that VIP experience where they bring your beer to your seat. Oh, I've been. Yeah, it's oh, good. Oh, that's <laughs> exceptional. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I came three hours early. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they they asked me, what, what's with home? the cooler? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was yeah. the movie any good? Uh, like, what yeah. movie? What yeah. movie? <laughs> they have these lazy boys with the heated seat part. You know, you just yeah. nodding off by about hour I was going to say, you have a beer and then it's like, and good night. <laughs> <It's> out. <laughs> This is like a great, like just nap hack. Yeah. Bringing my <laughs> neck pillow to the movie theater. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, Craig, for our, our list, you were, you were, we had you on a few years back now and uh, it's crazy that we haven't had you on more because we'd love to keep kind of bringing you in to, to talk about the market because you're sure. so active in the presale market in Vancouver. And that's what we wanted to talk to you about today. But first of all, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I'm Cresting now 20 years in the business. I've been with Magnum the last, uh, this is my eighth year with them. And before one of your other famous guests, Vince Taylor, we worked together for a very long time uh, right. when I was at Pilot House and a couple of the firms in between. I think I started in 2003 as we were chatting a little bit earlier. Currents at Otter Bay on Pender Island, uh, interesting <laughs> recreational project years ago, years and years ago. So Right. And worked everywhere. We've been in Hawaii. We've been in Mexico. Um, I've done a lot of work in Calgary, done a lot of work in Victoria. So. And have you ever looked at resale and thought, man, that looks interesting? Or is it just something about presale? You know, uh, oil tanks scare me and all those things that you guys deal with. So <laughs> I don't want to be digging them out at midnight so for, for clients. <laughs> so you guys can have it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was digging one out last night. Uh, <laughs> what? It, it is the worst part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get your start in real estate? Because I, I, I kind of want to go through because yeah. you've had like an exciting kind of global real estate career, which few agents And hockey. Get, and hockey career. Yeah, well, that, we'll have to get, we'll get to, to that. Too. Yeah. But but few agents get to kind of have, it's, it sounds like a romantic career, or maybe I just romanticize it in my, my head. Like you, you really were selling global real estate, but first, how did you kind of get in, it, get into real estate? It really started back in like 03, right around then. The market was just starting to heat up. Pre-sale was big and uh, working with Vince and, and they were really, they were looking for a sales guy. And I, you know, I had a couple other sales rep type positions sort of thing. And I always had an interest in real estate. I'm going to go back even farther. There was a building called the 501, which you probably remember. And sure, they specific. gave away a home on the radio and it crashed the uh, the radio. Like this was kind of the very, very beginning. And I remember this, I'm going to call that like 90, 
95, something like that, 96. And it was just, I was like, what is this? You know, wait, they gave away a uh, home, yes. a home at the 501 on the radio. They did. Wow. That was and, to the and seventh the, caller type and thing. And it was, and people phoned in and it crashed all the phone lines. Oh, was it God. like one of the junior ones with it was, like the captain bed? Yeah. With yeah. probably no parking and you're looking at the dumpster, but nobody cared. Right. It was just, jeez, that's an exceptional prize. It, it, you know, to this day, if you remember it, it was so well done, you know, and they got excellent airtime, right. All for months of just pushing it, pushing it. So kudos to them because you don't win that often. And that's a good one on the marketing side. What, the, what was the perception of the 501 when it was launching on Pacific? Because I always think of it now, it kind of lives amongst a lot of, you know, high quality uh, offerings kind of in that area, right? Beach Crescent kind of pocket. But what what was it? How, what was it? The it was perception of it? such an up and coming area because I think that was, there was a restaurant there, Carlos and Bud's or something was there for, for all you older listeners like me with gray hair. <laughs> um, yeah, it was one of those great, great, you know, bars, but it was really an area in transition. So for something so cool to come along and to push it to a younger group through a radio station like that, it was yeah. Like, yeah, it was. And those junior ones seemed like there's a ton of them in the building, right? Like mm -hmm. the breakdown of units, there's a ton of small units. So I, I bet that would have had an impact on who could buy it, right? No, I was going to say, yeah, if, they, if I was to plan based on that area in transition, they were really hitting that younger demographic. Yeah. Only to find out later that that, you know, when it filled in, oh my goodness, it's such a, it's one of the best neighborhoods. And that's like prime real estate now. It I is. know we used to, there was a, somebody in our old brokerage who had the story that she needed a down payment from her dad who was like, I would never let you live at the 501 yes. in the 90s. But she's like, and I'm still renting. Uh, that could have been my ticket <laughs> <out>. <laughs> And I think that, you know, even that perception at the time, it opened the people's eyes to pre-sale at that time because it was still really in its infancy. And then they gave away, you know, that studio on on the radio. And I imagine the amount of traffic it drove just continually in the sales center over and over. And you kind of went, oh, pre-sale, what is this? And you wait and money down and, okay, how does this work? Right. Yeah. So it, it, it got a global acceptance from there. It was, it was well done. And so that actually triggered your kind of interest in... In the real estate game. Yeah. It's like, what is this? And that's where it kind of started from. And you're trying to put the pieces together and then connecting with, the, you know, Vince and a few of the other guys that we know. And, and then that's how it started. And then Vince and I worked in Seattle on a really interesting conversion down there. There was uh, two Canadian developers that had bought a rental building. It was actually, it was a condo building built in Newcastle. So just east of Bellevue. And it was built in 97, 98. And the market turned and they made it, they turned it all into apartments. And then to come back in, yeah, I guess we were at that point, yeah, maybe 2000 or whatever that was. And uh, to, or, sorry, 2003, 2004, and to start selling them and trying to, we thought the easy market would just convert them right to the people who are renting. 1.2% converted. It's very interesting. Conversions for rental yeah. is 1% to 3%. So in, in that case or across the board? It's across the board. Yeah, trying to move somebody from... Um, that's renting into into ownership. And back then, if you remember, they're giving away uh, 117% uh, 117% uh, mortgages, loan-to-value mortgages. Yeah. So guys were coming home with a car and a new truck and a stereo. <laughs> they got home with everything. <laughs> Interest only for three years. Yeah. Interestingly enough, we sold something at one of those buildings by Joyce Skytrain Station earlier this year, like a 97 build. And, Was it um, one of the Boza? No, it's... it's um, even even earlier, but okay. it's concrete. Anyway, our client, who obviously I was the one who stick handled it, but uh, he bought it pre-sale and he was renting. They converted it. 
And he, he was one of the. He was like the shy of two percent. Uh, yeah, he was yeah. like, and, and they, he he. I know because he went on and on about how exceptional the opportunity was. Like they made it so oh, they yeah. rolled out the red carpet for him at the time, and I was thinking, man, that what a, a life changing purchase. Sure. Yeah, and we we did the same thing down in Newcastle. We had, you know, had specific mortgages. We had just everything easy. You stay in your home. We'll move you into another home in the building. We'll move everything. They we'll, did that for him. Yeah, and move. Yeah. yeah, move all your stuff. We'll put new countertops and new flooring. We'll do everything, redo your bathrooms, everything, and just move your stuff back in. Seamless. And yeah. they were just like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> I know. Such a horse to water, you know, yeah. horse yeah. to water. <laughs> how how do you go though from so you're you start kind of in Vancouver? And I know how first of all, how are you connecting with developers all over the world or in North America? And what was that like working in different markets? Uh trying to trying to, you know, trying to sell pre-sales in Seattle and, sure. and on and on, right? Um some tricks usually what we'll have to do is we got to go down there and hire a team and you need, you need some expertise. I've been, when I went to Calgary, I found it was, it's a full year to understand the market and it takes another year to really understand who the players are. And unfortunately that that's the hard thing. And you don't have two years when you're breaking into a market. So you, right. you gotta, you gotta buy some talent. You gotta, and then you gotta try and trust that same talent that they have your interests and they have the same motivations and narrative that you do. So you try and align yourself. But your first question, most of those guys that we worked with, if not all of them, were Vancouver developers of, of some sort. So they may have had, they started here in residential and then they picked up something in Zwantneo or they picked up and, and that's where that started from. That's interesting that it takes mm -hmm. basically two years because yep. we often talk to people about just mom and pop investing in other markets. And, you know, like jokingly, oh, is that the Yale town of Calgary type thing yeah. or whatever, putting on the, the Vancouver, Vancouver lens. Filter, yeah. yep. But man, I've never heard that. That's a long, it is. That's a long learning curve. And, you know, the amount of time you got to spend there. So not only just away from your family, like you just can't pop in and out for a day. You got to be there for weeks at a time and get to build relationships. And then you got to understand who's doing pre-sell. And if it's a downturn in the pre-sell market, people are, you know, Calgary has, I call it the, the fried egg in that it kind of, Drifts outwards. Right. So people have a lot of choice from downtown. We love a downtown lifestyle because of what it provides. There, they, they have a different option. They can go outside of town for less money even, have a bigger home, have the toys, you know. And, and so that whole downtown lifestyle, unless you're working downtown, it's just, it doesn't appeal. And people don't mind commuting, especially now. So yeah, Calgary was a, a really interesting place to learn. Yeah. They also love their neighborhoods. They might only be like a, one block long. But they're like, Marta Loop. And you go down yeah. there, it's like, where, where is Marta Loop? Oh, he went past it. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I've always felt about Vancouver. It's like, I'm in Yaletown. No, I'm in downtown. I'm in, I'm a, now I'm in the West City. End. It's yeah. like six blocks. And I, but I, you know, I, I always think of that just because, I mean, where we grew up, it was like, you have this huge area and it's called like the West Side of the City. Or whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, Craig, like being a kind of, like a pioneer basically in the pre-sale market and being kind of in that, those early days where it's like introducing, like, what is this mm. kind of that educational component, not only for the purchasers in Vancouver, but basically creating like a sales environment, right? Like you were there pretty early on. How have things changed over the last 20 years in terms of like, what were the biggest learning where you're like, oh man, in 2010, we realized X and it totally changed the way we did some, did the roll a project out or, or something like that. Um, I'll go 
just a one instance that I kind of see over and over again is, you know, the purchasers, the registrants that turn into purchasers are, you know, of course, th- those are who we're selling to. Those are the, really the most important people. And in a fast market in Vancouver, lots of times we put up signage, you start getting registration, bang, bang, bang. And, you, you know, you don't even have big enough teams to get to them. And this is the one change that we're really seeing is focusing so much more, you know, even my most recent project is just from when they register, just touch point, touch point, touch point, touch point. You know, we probably only convert, you know, 10 or 12% of our registrants, but it, you know, it's just, it's, I find it a disservice. So we just, we need to work harder to, to answer the questions, be more available. And even in a digital age, it's just too often we've had some really, really wonderful years here where things sell you know, and sell quickly. But right. yeah, being able to just have the teams in place to, to speak to them. Where people aren't falling through the cracks, basically. Right. Yeah, and, you, and you, you never try to, honestly. You, like you put signage up and you want to register and you, you're excited about the new community. And, you know, it just it takes on a life of its own, especially, you know, when we did Pier West by Bose, I think we had seven or 8,000 people through the sales center in the first two weeks. Right. So like yeah you just so you're going from nine in the morning till seven at night and you got hundreds of people coming through right it's hard to qualify it's hard to manage so you know we're really that's one thing is let's not forget who really our buyers are and why they're buying you know these homeowners they are homeowners they're not buying units they're buying homes so that's the one thing is just keeping our eye on that and that's probably where I'd really love to see that industry go more especially right now and we're in a time right now where the market's you know trying to find its legs right now. We, we've got so much to talk to and I want to get to that, <laughs> talk to you about, and I want to get to that. But one thing I've, we've talked around a lot on this program when we talk about pre-sales, but just how instrumental Vancouver was in kind of pre-sale marketing. Is that fair to say that we were kind of a front runner? And, and also have we become like, I think of like S&P and like different companies that have kind of gone all over the world. Have we become almost in, and is that like an export for Vancouver now? Like our marketing systems? Oh, for sure. S&P has, of course, they were all over, all over the States, all over the place, all over the world. Right. And a lot of people from there all started in Vancouver or they've moved around and, and that's, but I've worked in other markets and I can tell you that we are, I would say maybe it's not 10 years ahead anymore, but we're definitely five years ahead than everybody else. And that's wow. in product design. You know, that's in amenity planning, that's in programming, that's in lifestyle, that's in all of that kind of thought, the strategic thought. That's where... Lots of people can draw floor plans, but, you know, understanding your buyer, create a brief, who is that? And really drilling down on the strategy, who, who that is, and then how you implement that. I, I can't say enough about it. And that's once again, goes back to the buyer. But yeah, I would say when you go around the world, that's one thing you notice is, is and, and I'm sure they have different development rules, but trying to focus on buyer profiles ahead of time to match that to the product type is just, yeah, makes Vancouver kind of second to none. Why do you think that is? Like, what was special and unique about our city that that allowed for this kind of marketing to to explode? I think the, the you know the the push of development starting in the eighties and the nineties, and all of a sudden towers going up, and then really we were catering to buyers from not only across Canada, but from the states, but also of course from you know Hong Kong, from from China, from all over the world, and they were looking for very specific, very specific things. So I think, you know, you do a building and you get, you learn some knowledge and then you start crafting your buildings that way. But I, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to pinpoint, I would say, but I, I would really lean back to Vancouver and real estate. It's a sport in this town. Um, You know, when we talk to developers, just even how realtors like resale realtors who bring, may do part-time pre-sale and bring people in, 
you know, we used to give, you know, let's give them a week to bring clients in. It's like they're instantaneous on how they react now, especially if it's a good offering. That there, there is the, the the realtor side is more in tune with the pre-sale than, you know, as much as we are now. That's that's been a huge difference, even from five years ago. Huh. Interesting. Maybe kind of shifting gears a little bit about, um, so you, you're with Magnum, Magnum Projects. Can you talk a little bit about the origins of Magnum and, and what you guys do? Yeah, George, uh, George Wong started the, uh, started Magnum, uh, I think 29 years ago with uh, Lily Corstange and, and Wilson Sang. And that group has been kind of uh, instrumental uh, in this marketplace. You know, there's the Rennies of the world, so the MLA and Magnum and, and, you know, George's philosophy really is about doing exceptional work. That's the one thing he, you know, it's a discussion we have all the time. He's super hands-on. He attends all the meetings. That's one of his big things is I want to know what's going on with my teams. You know, he lets us as VPs kind of run our own, you know, groups, but he still attends nearly every meeting. And that is rare for a guy who's busy. Like if you looked at a schedule, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a mess, but it's night to day and he, You'll see his car parked outside our office at 906 Main Street on Saturdays and Sundays. He's in there. You know, he's just, he's that kind of guy. And that drives and sets the tone. So we have the pleasure of working with uh, Boza Development and Reliance. And we have, uh, you know, just very recently we did Solo 4. That was one of ours. And I think we've done now 25 projects on the west side. More importantly, I think we've done 14 or 15 in the last couple of years. You know, that's been a lot of that's a lot of our work. It's allowed us to grow to Victoria. We are doing some really good stuff in Victoria. Customs House is now done. We've did 595 and we did and, and more to come over there. Some big stuff to come. Uh, and then, you know, even working with some of the newer developers that who, who have making huge waves in the city like Celtic. Celtic, we did their Park West project and. I think we were talking about it before, but we just launched the, the Pentos collection over there. And uh, that's just about complete. So, yeah, across the board, we work with, uh, you know, smaller developers uh, like Tatla, who does really strong work, really strong work in, in Coquitlam and Berquitlam, right through to Solo 4. So we, we're able to kind of cover all the bases within our group. We, we're probably 30 in-office staff between VPs, directors, managers, coordinators. And then we have about 60 sales staff that move in and out. So you mentioned 14 to 15 projects on the west side. I'm kind of curious just in terms of of over over the course of working the west side, like has the buyer profile changed? Buyer profile stayed very much the same. Yes. You you know you get it changes a little bit at times depending on on what offering you bring to market. You know, we've always targeted kind of a west side downsizer, but it's hard to get them to come, you know, they don't mind staying on the west side, but they're very specific about what they buy. They're very specific, but there's been so, you know, there's not still not a lot of product on the West side, especially on right. Canby, those six story. We just did Park Langara and uh, what was it? 71 homes, you know, and, and that was the spring when we sold 58 to 71, which was a wonderful success on the West side, you know, and that's on that six story concrete product. Right. But it's just not like, there's not big, big pieces coming out. It's primarily, so yeah, there's, because there's a Canby corridor. Yeah. And then we're now I mean, getting the phase three. Yeah. yeah, we're, yeah. It's the, uh, and that's the final phase. And then, and then where else are you guys active in on the West side? Cause it seems like it's slim pickings. If you're looking for new product, it's yeah. slim. There's some more stuff coming up uh, 42nd, 43rd. That uh, so just where I call it the auto mall of, of sales centers. Right. And, and of course I had two there on the same streets, <laughs> but yeah, it's 42nd, 43rd. So that's going to start filling in a little bit. And then also the side streets. So Ash and 30th, which we'll talk about in a bit. I did a, a project on 33rd, some stuff on King Ed. So it's starting to kind of go east-west corridors now, as opposed to just the north-south corridors. Right. Yeah. 
And so you're saying the the people that are looking at this product primarily downsizers? No, there's that's a little piece of it, and that was interesting because we always target them, but it really ends up being about five or ten percent of our buyers. And that's people that have sold the home on the West side. They want to repatriate some of that capital. They want to stay near their peer group. You know, I'm sure they get up and go, you know, to Carisdale Community Center or Dunbar Community Center. They go and do, you know, they, they're, they're active in the West side and they just, they just love staying there. And there's not a lot of offerings on the West side. When you think about it, think about a new offering, you know, some stuff over on Dunbar, but not, not a ton. And so that's one group. I'm just trying to get a handle yeah. on the, the, the people buying on the West side. So there's the small percent of downsizers. Yeah. And then you'd pick off the, in, in our kind of a one bedroom, small two bedroom product, you have that 28 to 35 year old and it could be single, could be a couple. And you see a lot of that. I think I was saying earlier that they, um, they're coming from Richmond. They'll come from Vancouver. Burnaby has been an interesting trend that we've been seeing. And they've been coming just, I think, the money they've made over time in uh, in Metrotown area or Brentwood. and they, But they, the one constant through all of this and the next group I'll talk about is that there's a connection to the west side. You know, if it's a couple, one of them grew up on the west side. They have family on the west side. They went to school on the west side. It's like North Van. North Van has that one thing where it, you know people may move downtown, but then they get sucked back, yeah. <laughs> right back right. to the North Van. Right. Uh, and then the next group would be 32 to 40, maybe just a little over that with their families. They are there for school catchment. You know, the West side is blue chip real estate. It's the one where we say the puddle dries from the outside in. And that's that one that seems less affected over time and market fluctuations in price or even velocity. So it tends to just slow down a little bit. You'll just see listings kind of just not come on. Mm-hmm. So really that buyer, especially on the, in the multifamily, really ranges from 28 to 40 right in there. And that's the meat of it. And, and okay. So th- this is in, I, kind of a segue here for market fluctuations. Cause obviously we're in a moment where I think across the board, it's softening, but it's very sub-market um, specific, specific almost, yeah. for sure. I'm curious to hear what your take is on, on the West side and, and yeah, specifically the pre-sale market, yep. obviously, because th- that's where you're operating. The one thing that a constant that I keep getting reminded of is, is if you can check the boxes and it's an interesting term because it's, you know, we usually talk price product and offering. Those are three big groups, three silos, but within that you're, you're going to have almost subclasses of, of, you know, storage. Do you have the right storage and especially in townhomes because the two things townhomes don't have is light and storage, right? Right. They're long and narrow unless they're a different configuration. So how do you change that? Because you really are trying to get to the single family inspired. That's where you're going. So I would say that's 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 one piece. A door to the street, parking access, side street location, you know, rooftop patio. So how can you use that space? So when you start checking those boxes off that the buyers, and we really take all the feedback from you guys on past projects. Oh, my client really likes this. It'd be great if, you know, and we keep hearing that over and over again. And we keep pulling that information into the next project. But it can't be, you know, you can't discount the fact that there are projects that, that we have that other other marketing firms have that are you know, going to be a little slower on the sales take up right now because they, they haven't checked the boxes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're in a good market and things sell and you're like, look how smart I am. And, you know, really you got saved by a market. Let's be very honest. <laughs> yeah. But to be very honest, I'm seeing stuff right now when you go, hey, I wonder why that sold out. You can see that the offering was right to the realtors, you know, whatever, if there's a, you know, however that was designed, the purchaser, it's the right deposit program, but it's also the bedroom sizes. Like they get right into the detail of, is this home going to fit 
for my family or for me. Like right. it's, if you can answer, if you can answer that question, then the market accepts it. And and the, the thing that strikes me about the type of product you're selling right now versus say a concrete tower in Burquitlam mm-hmm. is, I don't know the percentage of investors in Burquitlam, but it's high, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're not, somebody's not concerned about, you know, external storage or where am I going to put my kids, you know, play things if I want to clean up that type of thing. So there's that kind of component, but then there's also not the same fluctuation in the market as in we're, we're looking to get back on the West side. This is where we want to be. We have a life that we envision here and it's not, it's not like they're not thinking about it as can I make 10% on this this year? I want, I want, I want to buy a family home. So it's a totally different experience and marketing exercise, I would guess. That narrative slipped is, is at times in our marketplace in Vancouver, people may think, you know, I'm buying a home for investment and in that investment, I'll live in that. And, and great if it goes up and, and, you know, they do well on it, we'll move in the future. You're right. The narrative has kind of switched over. Is it, does it work for my family? And is this a great location that will be a strong investment for our future as a family? So, yeah, so those two things kind of have flipped over. And buyers, the ones that are active in the marketplace, because there is an act, there is activity. And then they, they come in, they are very set on what they want. Right. Yeah. Right. And just a, a one other question for the presale, like, you know, often people moving through the market, you know, are, are moving because they, they, they literally, I need more space. They, they, and they want that in the next month or two, right? <laughs> Not in the, in the next 18 months. What are you hearing from people? And I'm wondering what they're doing not not necessarily right now, but are they holding on to a property they own, like living in it for the next two years? You know, presumably, I mean, if it was me right now, I'd mm-hmm. be thinking, okay, interest rates over the short term, you know, it's potentially risky if you're if you're holding one asset and you've secured a second mm-hmm. one being the presale, right? Like I'm wondering why presale? Mm-hmm. And then secondly, I'm just curious as to how people are approaching approaching that purchase with another property. You mentioned the towers and the and the time it takes to build them. Investors love those because it's a five year, six year build, and they can they can really watch the market. And right now, that's that's a lot of uncertainty in the in, in their minds. And I actually think it's a great time to buy if you can get into a tower because there's none on the market. But yeah. if you can get into one, and there's going to be fewer and fewer. <laughs> there, there is like if you're looking, this is something you want to be looking at. You know, typically investors sit on their hands when the market turns. This is the time you want to look at a tower. But I'm not going to talk towers just yeah. yet. <laughs> <laughs> on the townhouse stuff, you're exactly right. These and even even uh, our Parkland Air project, it's only a two year build, six stories, so it's just a little over two years. What we're finding is the first comment I get or first question I get or my teams get on the floor is, you know, when's completion? You say it's about two years, maybe two years and 24 months, maybe 26 months. And you see them nod going, okay. And they're saying to themselves, does our current situation work? And then the next conversation usually comes up, interest rates. And the one thing that, that I've now heard more, and it's a trend, is that thought process of, oh, yeah, okay, we got to put down 10% and then another five and then another five. Can I put some more down to offset the interest rate? I said, yeah, of course you can, but, you know, it's up to you. You might want to keep it in your own bank and do what you want with it. Yeah. Um, but we get this, I've now had this even recently going, you know, if I put down 30%, that kind of offsets that, that change in the interest rate. So there are already steps ahead. So they're thinking product first, product or place first, then product. Right. And they're thinking down this path. They're going, you know, we, we need to put a bit more down in order to kind of get to where we want to on payment. But it gives us two years to save that money. 
Whereas an investor is just thinking of the capital appreciation over time. Investors are sort as of little end. down as possible. <laughs> exactly. Little down and then, and then decide in the future. Cause you forget five years, that's longer than most car leases. Like that's, that's a long time. <laughs> yes. So on, on a townhouse, but I can see the mental discussion they're having with themselves. If I put an extra X amount away per month, you know, by the time we close, we'll have this much more and it'll offset. So this is really about end user planning. Just that's exactly what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And family right. planning for the West side. We, we've talked on the show quite a bit about, you know, just where house prices have gone, especially during COVID. You think about what like the West side did even and just where now you're, you know, call it two and a half million, 2.75 is a house that will likely need a lot of work. Yep. Right. And so I guess in, in thinking about the townhouse, not only on the west side, but just the townhouse, are we moving into a phase where this is the new single family I like option? this single family inspired. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and also, um, we've talked a lot on the show about kind of missing middle. And can you just talk to like how that's kind of informing, you know, these, the buyers, but also these projects? Very much so. That is the one piece is if you look at the, the I looked it up a couple weeks ago, the, the, Probably the most affordable home in Douglas Park, Heather Park, right, right there. I think it was 2749, 1900 square foot, little red house across from the, and, you know, three bedroom, one bath, and, and probably needs a significant amount of work. Right. After that, the next step is like three, two, and, you know, it runs from there. So you can't get into the West Side for less than, call it three million for an easy number, just to say. So your, your choice is condo. And, you know, 900 square feet doesn't work anymore. And that's because of land price and where that's gone. So you drop into townhomes and the townhouse buyer is so specific. Over the last two years, we saw, or even call it, I'm going to go back six years, you saw Oak Street. And Oak Street was all 1,600, 1,700 square foot product. But there tends to be people shy away because of Oak Street, right? So just, just bigger homes, a little bit older. So these side street locations, we started dropping in the 1,100, the 1,200 square foot townhomes to get some density on the sites. And yes, they, people, you know, they, they do like them and they work for their families, but we have seen a, a dramatic shift that people want something with 1,400, 1,375, 14 and above, right up to 15, 1,600 square feet, which also has a higher price tag, but they're willing to pay that. We used to say that there needs to be $400,000 between product types, between home, townhouse, condo, in order for people to kind of make a mental move. And now I've seen that even stretch a little farther. I think it's more like six to 700000 so between townhome and home. And that gap right now, people will go to the west side. You know, we didn't think we could break $2 million price, price tag on, on the west side for townhome. And that's kind of the, that's the new number that, that's coming out across all projects is, is that number is around $2 million, but you're 1,550 square feet, you know, three bedroom, two and a half bath. So they really are living like a single family home. So <laughs> what would be like a price per, like a blended price per square foot for some of these off, like the townhouse offerings? The big ones will put you in that 1360 to 1380 a foot. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's substantial, but you are on the West side. When you, 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 you offset that against Olympic Village concrete condo, you're kind of 1275, 1300. So you're playing within the same game. But, you know, one thing I was telling you guys earlier, that, um, probably 25% of our, our uh, registrants in our most recent project, Grace, it, they're from Yelltown. And since COVID, it's been two years, so it's too noisy. <laughs> they're two years older. They're grumpier. And they're just like, we want out of Yelltown. We want to be in, you know, we want to be. So it's interesting how they move up that corridor. The downtown they love, but that's where they want to 
continue. Yeah, it's interesting to think like we've been talking quite positively about downtown, but I mean, we didn't live through down. I feel like COVID, COVID was tough on downtown, but I feel like it was tough on people just living downtown. Like it, the whatever romantic notion of it was kind of lost, right? Like being scared to go in the elevator and then, you know, the city seemingly, I don't know, not being, it's not like you're going out to restaurants and bars. You're just stuck in, I don't know. It was a bad spot during COVID to be in downtown, right? Yeah. And it seems like it's, but, but like you're saying, like we're coming out the other side, but it's not like, oh my God, thank God we're coming out the other side. It's like, no, I'm still wanting to leave. Yeah. I'm, I'm done. I'm yeah, done. They've gotten two years older. Um, their life's changed a little bit. They may not be working in the office as much. They, you know, all of those things that we're experiencing. And we're running through them at Magnum too, but they just, they've said, you know, just don't want to hear the sirens and I don't want to hear the, you know, the restaurants or nightclubs or whatever that is. It's just, it's changed for people. Right. There's been that real shift in the marketplace. And I love your term, the missing middle. I really love that term because I've seen it over and over again. And it's, you know, on one side, I'm looking at it going, is this, what the new West side looks like. Like let's go back 67 years ago. I bet the same buyer profile existed when those homes started going up in the fifties and sixties, like of those areas that started to expand a little bit because all Mm -hmm. those houses are are kind of the same. They have the same look and feel to them, but they would have been families and think about those streets would have been filled with road hockey or whatever that would have been. You grew up on the West side, even through the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. And then even where, where grace is our project at Ashton 30th, all of those families that live there, the kids have been gone for 20 years, 25 years. So it's kind of just parents in there. So those neighborhoods have really gone. They're going to go through the next transition. Right. And the next transition is townhomes and the kids are going to be back. I When we did the the residences at Lynn Valley for Boza, yeah. they, when they closed a couple of years ago now, the single family home market exploded in Lynn Valley. Because all of a sudden the people who were moving in, because all the buyers were from two to four kilometers away. Right. They all moved into the towers. The homes came on for sale. I remember going to Karen Magnuson Rink on a, like a Saturday and the lights were off. I'm going, why are the lights off in a rink? You can't get ice time anywhere. And all the family and the kids have grown up and moved away and the parents were there. Now, if you go to the rink on a Saturday, it's, it's chocolate block full. That is super interesting. So you see this, and we saw it because it was 258 homes at, at, within the six towers at Boza. So that's 258 buyers in single-family homes. Well, that opened the door from the people from Yaletown who lived in a condo to come back to the North Shore, raise their kids. All of a sudden, school enrollment is exploding yeah. in Lynn Valley, and homes are being torn down and rebuilt, and it revitalized that entire neighborhood. So the I always think of it as like, say using the residences as an example that that brings that injects new blood because people are buying into the residences, Mm -hmm. but it's actually, there's a other component where it's people that are in single family homes and aging out, but don't want to leave the neighborhood are actually like, this is our opportunity to stay in Lynn Valley. And it opens up the product for younger families. And, and then it becomes, because I've been, spending a lot of time actually lately in there. And I have a couple of friends that live in Lynn Valley. It becomes like, man, this is a fantastic neighborhood yep. and there's kids on the street and, and they've had a hundred percent sales ratios in single family. Well, not maybe not right now, 
but they're still super high. There it so is. Probably and the highest in Metro. Well, some it, of the highest it, sales ratios in Metro. It's been insane for the last Vancouver. couple of years. Lynn Valley is just like, you put uh, every single house sells, no matter what it looks like. And it's, there's, there's a line of people waiting, you know, wherever they are. Could be Canby Quarter, could be Metro Town, could be Brentwood even. They're waiting to get back. They're waiting for their opportunity to get back to the North Shore. And these are people, once again, connected to the North Shore. Right. Uh, they may have grown up anywhere on the North Shore, but that's where they'll be. And now you're going to see... And I mark my words, 10 years, you know, Lynn Valley at the uh, Canadian Little League Championships. Like, you're going to start seeing those things because the infrastructure created by by the residences opened up 258 homes. Right. Those 258 homes brought in families, and now those kids are growing up, and it's going to go through its transition. The west side, it's going through that same thing, especially in the Canby to Oak Quarter. That's exactly what's happening. So is it mostly young families then? Like, if you think about yep. that small percentage. Because yep. the other thing that that occurs to me in thinking about this is that when we, when we, uh, clients of ours that are in these townhouse developments, there's so many other families and kids that it almost becomes an area. Like as a family, it's great to live in these micro communities because your kids, it's like, you can almost like when we all grew up, you know, yeah. you can, you know, come home when the streetlight is on, which doesn't really happen anymore, <laughs> but it, it almost does in the townhouse community. Right. Because it's like your, your kid could be down at, Two doors down at sure. another townhouse, right? It's like a real community. Well, and yeah. somebody said, you know, if you have a, somebody recently on the show said, if you're in a tower, it's like there's, it's very hard to create. Ironically, it's hard to create community because there's too many people. And it's just, but if you're in a building of, you know, 28 units or townhome development, you kind of know everybody because it's, it's got that size. The, the emotional connection to what I'm going to call the door to the street. So as you get out of your car. And you, you're, you're heading to your home. You see the Smiths and the Joneses on the left and the right. Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? In a tower, we go up the elevator. One gets off. You see the back of their head. They go and close 906 and they close the door and you don't see them again for four weeks. And you can't access that floor. And you, you can't access that floor. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I had the idea of where we live over in Voda is uh, I'm on Strata because I like to be, you know, kind of. The masochist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The reason why is I've got some old cars and I'm down there working them all, all the time and I don't want to get <laughs> fined. Right. So I went on Strata so I can't <laughs> find myself. <laughs> um, the idea of, you know, that, that we call it the place to collide. You know, when you have amenity rooms or you have gyms, and we really did the gym up in Voda for this reason after we were set up and it's a place to collide. That's when you get to meet your neighbors, but you only meet the people who are have like-minded interests. Right. So I said, well, what if we took, and this was right before COVID, we went to AB Party Rental and, and got a bunch of the banquet tables. And for 10 bucks, you can come and do a banquet table and we have like a garage sale in the courtyard. So now people can sell their crap to everybody else in the building, but you get to know who your neighbors are. Right. And that's what we don't do enough of. You know, Christmas time, that opportunity to have that in the lobby, you know, have a cocktail with your neighbor, those things that, and some people don't want it. That's why they live in towers, but right. it, it's a shame that we live with 177 other families in, you know, in Voda and I only know 5% of them. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost a shame. Yes. And some people want to be private, but we're all living in it together. Yeah. I can yeah. tell you, I know all the names of people who don't flatten their boxes. Yeah, I can know from their Amazon box. It drives me crazy. <laughs> don't get me started. I'm going to be the guy that's going to start leaving them on their door handle. Yes. <laughs> hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. 
Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. So Craig, just before we move on here, I, I just wanted to go back to one other thing you said about gaps, because we often talk about gaps in different sub-markets, right? But you had a pretty clear delineation of the price gap between single family to townhome, townhome to to condo. Can can we talk a little bit more about that? Yes, please. Yes. Right now, if you, even if you look at condo, we've we've been shrinking the size of them in order to fit price points because it is a price point buy. Unless you're looking at something like uh, Tesoro or Charleston or like that, those big high-end offerings, right. you know, really we're kind of converting from, you know, your bedroom at your parents' house to your first rental, you know, maybe a basis suite, then you get your one bedroom, you know, in that linear path. And it is really that kind of commodity buy. You get into a one bedroom but your next step is is typically you go from a one to a two. And right now, 1,000 square feet, 1,300 a foot, you're one three. Now that next step, you might go to a two-bedroom townhouse and you're now one seven or one eight is that next step. So you're seeing those gaps. And when you make those gaps too close, you've given people a reason to do nothing. So if you brought out a townhouse project on the west side that didn't have some very specific appeal, let's say you brought out townhomes at 2.5 or 2.6, now you're going to force people to either look at an older single family home that needs renovation, or they're going to look east of Maine. And, you know, I love the value that's over there between Maine, Fraser, you know, all of that. And I'm, that's was, that was a killer for us. And even on a personal level, Colleen, my wife and I, we lived at uh, Oaken 15th, their little townhouse development, gray, four or five gray townhomes with red doors. My brother, Sean was listing for us and we had a hundred groups through in the first three weekends and not one offer. And the price we had put it at back then in 2018 was exactly the price of a home on the east side. And people came to look and they said, lovely, thank you, but we're going to go buy a house on this. And so we gave people a reason to buy elsewhere. So the, the gaps in product class is it allows you to have your own markets within markets. So yeah, back to the house, you know, you see the house, they set the benchmark because it, it really is the free market world. But if you're 2.8, your townhome's got to float somewhere between them, call it two, two, you know, 
and one eight to two two, mm-hmm. and your condo is going to be below that, and then you're going to have submarkets there: one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom. Sure. So, yeah. So on the west side, is it? Do you conceive of that as its own ecosystem, or because you just mentioned that the house is on the east side? Like, are you pricing it in relation to single family? And condos on the on the west side, or and are but are you also like okay? Well, wait a second, we got to factor in east side, and <laughs> you do have to look at what people would uh, you know what would compete with you. So you're always looking at what's that competition, right? But then that overlays with oh, my family do want to raise you know how is the school system over there, and it's only going to get better because they're going the same thing. All those families that are moving out, yeah, you know, young families moving in. I'm sure you guys have lots of friends that live you know, east of Maine, right, right now. Yeah. So, but then it overlays what school system, where do you want to be? You know, there is a prestige factor too. I hate to say it, but the West side, you know, it has its own blue chip. Yeah. Prestige. We are always looking at, and this goes back to product design and pre-sale. And we've talked about this before, even on the last one, a couple of years ago is product design. When we're looking at floor plans, we'll say to an architect in, in a brief, this is what who are buyers first off. And then this is the homes that they're looking at. If they come back and they're outside those sizes, you know, you end up with an 800 square foot one bedroom. Like who's the buyer? Yeah. So we always overlay this back to who is that creative in the creative brief and who is the buyer, who's the buyer. And then let's go back and test that against floor plans. Cause that next test is price per square foot and price. And in townhomes, we always talk about price per square foot, but we don't buy our cars by the pound. And if that's a Vinceism, he's used it before, but he might have. I can't. Believe, I can't remember if I stole it from him or he stole it from me. But we don't buy our car, our cars by the pound. So townhomes, you know, we don't say, "Oh, that house at forty third, yeah, that's seven hundred dollars a foot." People are like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. So townhomes are the same. It's an end price, and that's when you go single family home is an end price. Townhomes fall within that end price. People will check it against the price per square foot, but it really is what's your budget. And then you move into condo and that becomes really back to that commodity side. It's really interesting. What, what's your favorite thing about project sales? Oh, um, I would say the, from the beginning, when you sit down, putting pen to paper, when you see a new project that, okay, imagine who is this buyer and, and then testing it all the way along. And then when you actually see the people come into the sales center, but also getting to work with such interesting te- teams, like just on Grace alone, working with a new client for us. It was Vicini Homes, Con West. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And w- very, very bright group. But, so, and those guys, uh, if I understand, did a lot of ton commercial. Of single family. And, and, and commercial too. Yeah, Tilts Ups, they've done, um, yeah. So I, right by Bosa Foods, there's that Crosstown building that did kind of a uh, industrial commercial with some office in it. And well. they're Italian. Two right? brothers, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and another gentleman there. But what gave it away, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> like, they, <laughs> I didn't even put that together. Okay. <laughs> Their entire team, everybody we've worked with, very, very bright. Right. Like a really interesting group. And to watch their thought process and to be part of that. But then even our side, we worked with a lady, Gina Powell at Hatch Creative. She was the one that came up with that, you know, the ballerina and, and some of the other. She hand drew all those illustrations to tie into when we landed on the word grace. So you get to have all these kind of interactions with our groups and the team within Magnum and, and watch this project grow from this first idea and then to actually have it in the sales center. And every project is takes on a life of its own. And there's highs and lows and there's stress and everything else. But when you get it through in the marketplace and you know that you've checked those boxes again, right. it is, it's a really neat feeling to say, you know, down the road, even, you know, I had a hand in that, you know, I had a hand in that, I had a hand in that in the future. There's something kind of really rewarding right. about that. Part of our business on the sell side is always predicting who the buyer is, right? And I mean, that's usually how your marketing strategy yes. comes up. But do you ever get it like just complete, like, have you ever been wowed by how wrong you got it? 
Yes. Oh, yes. Sometimes you drink your own Kool-Aid. You look at the mirror too long, and you, and you oh yeah, and you believe it, and you you didn't do well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and and then you're left with you know limited strategies, right? And it usually comes down to price. You know. So I was going to say because by the time you figure that out, you're pretty late in the game. You're down to price. <laughs> yes. And and markets change on you too. Like, you know, it happens sometimes. You've designed for a certain, and then there's been a change in the marketplace, and. So, you know, you can make shifts within markets. So you can sometimes go back and change some floor plans if needed. Sometimes early on, like we'll catch it early on. We've planned and planned and planned. We've checked it. And then you get into your sales campaign and you realize you have a you have a miss. But probably the most often it's happened for us is we get a project dropped on our lap and it says, okay, you know, the, the, all the suites are designed. Just go sell it. And it's it, it, that whole piece, that thought and the strategy ahead of time. It's hard to sell things that haven't been thought about who the buyer is. And it happens to us a lot. It's just like, okay, you just go sell this. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, um, it doesn't always work. So the perfect scenario is for you guys to be brought in early. We end up, you end up having gaps within your product mix. So you'll have a one bedroom, you know, and then you might, then your one bedroom sizing, you don't have a one and then, then you have a large two bedroom. So say in a tower, you're going to sell all the ones all the way to, you know, the upper floors and someone goes, well, really, for that money, I could go buy a one and den on the lowest floor. And they ride that price up, and the market does it itself. People are finding where their budgets are, and that person on the one and den will go, I can buy a two-bedroom. And so if you have a one-bedroom, then your next jump is to a big two. Your sales velocity drops off because once the ones are done, now you're scraping to find a two-bedroom. So you, you can generate a two-bedroom buyer during through price and, and through product design. So that's that's where... If you're really thoughtful about it and you understand the buyer, you know where this is going. If you can have someone go from a one to a one and then to a two within the sales campaign, you can move product really, really seamlessly. So maybe we should talk a little bit more about the market. I mean, I feel like we've, the one thing that I feel like really you've mentioned already that rings true is for the properties that have it all, Mm -hmm. they're, they're moving. They are moving. But if you're missing, and we, Adam and I often just use tier one, tier two as the, mm-hmm. yeah. as the shorthand, but the tier two stuff is, is sitting. Well, and, and we we're coming out of a market where everything was getting absorbed, right? They Whether were. it was tier one or tier three. So you're, you're there. <laughs> and now it's changed. And you're going to see, you know, this is when incentives are going to start coming into play and you'll see more and more of it, right? If you, if it, that's happened, if the market's shifted from what your original product mix was or who you thought your cut, your customer was, you're going to see, you know, incentives and, and you're going to see decorating allowances and, and GST included and, you know, Tesla's or what, whatever it's going to be. The people are going to, to try and to create some noise to turn you in that direction. Right. And, th- and that's, you know, so really the point I'm getting to is for your buyers out there, this is a time to be very sharp and start looking at some of these offerings because, you know, they always say, oh, we're waiting for it to come down. Very difficult for any project to come down with construction costs and what the developer paid for land. Because nobody wants to go backwards. People will break even, developers, but they don't want to go backwards. So the price is going to be the price. And you'll see less listings. Sorry, guys, less listings for you. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll for the buyers right now in pre-sale, especially projects that are getting close to closing, there is some screaming deals. Yes, right now is that real opportunity. And, you know, you got to go and look at all of them because, as I said, they're not moving for a reason. You know, we're being very honest. There's And it's happened to me and it's happened to lots of people who market and sell. 
but there is an opportunity for people who are looking in certain marketplaces that you can go in and, you know, you can negotiate some very, very strong deals for yourself. And just thinking about timing, because so right now we're July, 2022, mm-hmm. and people are talking about, you know, recession, increasing inflation that is not transitory in any way and higher interest rates. And, and, and we've talked to other people who in the pre-sale market are saying it's actually, you know, the next six to nine months is kind of that period where there potentially are really good deals. And I think my understanding of it is the new product's just not going to come on, right? If it, if, if they don't think they can, if it doesn't pencil out, mm-hmm. they're not going to market are, it. Are we not a- bringing it to market? So are the deals actually not, let's assume there's a two year mm-hmm. real slow time here. It's not 18 months to two years from now, it's actually six, the next six months. For sure. And if you, if you think, so we know two years ago when COVID started, nothing came out, right? No inventory. So there's nothing to buy that's getting close to finishing. The stuff that sold in the last year when we, when the market was hotter, that's been absorbed. You know, you think of Solo 4, you think of all these, ta- those are, people are holding onto that product for the next six years. So if there is a project that has been in the marketplace, you know, and it's, let's say it's 60% sold or maybe even 80% sold, those developers want to start repatriating that cash. And this is the time that you want to be looking. You really want to be looking at what's out there and going across all marketplaces from New Westminster, I'm going to call it, which I, the market I love. But, you know, we never saw a pre-sale market in Port Coquitlam and there's stuff that's happening there. So people are looking everywhere. The shopping maps, that was one thing that surprised us very much in the last couple of years. We'd see realtors' cars that we recognized, you know, only on the Canby Corridor. And then we started seeing them in Central Surrey and we started seeing them in North Burnaby. And all of a sudden people's shopping maps went boom, everywhere. So Vancouver became less pocket and very much. Totally. Yes, yeah, and especially for investment, people are chasing, chasing dollars, chasing dollars. And we can talk about New West a little bit more. I think New West sits at ten to twelve percent undervalued all the time. It's a, it's an exceptional neighborhood. You've seen my nineteen eighty eight Volkswagen <laughs> Jetta. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, that could be <laughs> everywhere. Only uh, on the lawn. Yeah, Coming in wagon. for, coming in for the uh, for the sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the free sandwiches. Adam still is, his back window's still broken. We yeah, see. exactly. One realtor's car stood out. Uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Maybe. Well, maybe. I, I, but let's talk about New West a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah, but let's talk about even just mark like yeah. areas you're excited about. Yeah. Okay. Yes, for sure. Um, New West is one. I'm, you know, a little bit biased. Uh, when I, I grew up in the metropolis of Merritt, BC, and when I moved down here <laughs> in '89, uh, moved to New West, and and you know, I just find it's one of those towns like North Vancouver that has community. You'll see lots of fifth and sixth generation families. It's really seen an influx of that buyer, that 28 to 35 year old buying. You know, the great work that West Group's doing and just did so many different projects in New West. It's really, it's a, it's a, it's a forgotten or hidden gem. Like New West is one you got to go check out. And I feel like, so just in general, when we talk about New West, like in 2017, I feel like it was on everybody's, right? There was like a moment there where New West was suddenly, you know, you can work in Surrey, you can get downtown. And then it kind of just, the market it's slowed walkable, down. It's got, yeah. yeah too- but then the market slowed down and then everybody, it was like something nobody was talking about New West. Yep. And then ever since it's like, it's kind of, it's there, but it's not, there was like a moment and, uh, and it seems like it's forgotten. Since the nineties, you've had this, you get three, four years of development and then it drops off. And I don't know if it's city process or, or what, whatever it is, but newest has never had that sustained. Like think about Metrotown. It's just been layer after right. layer. Uh, 
Brentwood, you know, just think of how that's gone. Burquitlam now has that trajectory, but New West has these interesting pockets. Like I would love to do a townhouse project in New West. You want to talk about the missing middle? Like New Westminster is the home of the missing middle. Right. You got single family home, you have a limited amount of condo and there's, there was a project built by Omnicron in the eighties or nineties down towards the Safeway down by uh, the, what is that? The Justice Institute. Those things trade like the velocity and price of those things. And they're 25, 30 years old because there's just no townhouse product right. in the West. You know, in Burnaby, you see way more duplex, especially like the Edmonds area. So you see that density. You just don't see it in the West. So you got single family home and not many other options. So New West is, uh, I think that it's ripe over the next 10, 12 years, 15 years. I, I, Truthfully, I love it. There's, was there five SkyTrain stations? Yeah. They have the ability with the Braid station to really create a beautiful pocket. What would you buy there? Uh, for me, if uh, back to townhome, if I could do a townhome project there, that would be a home run. But there's really good value. If you spent any time in Queens Park, you know, average house, Queens Park, right? not average house, but lower end market, you're one three for a house in Queens Park, which looks, you know, like a, like a miniature Carisdale or a miniature, you know, kind of oak main can be sort of idea tree-lined streets but then you have an undeveloped pocket right beside 22nd street they're just figuring out the traffic plan there right by the queensboro bridge that's going to have tower six-story townhouse you know, condo wood frame and it's you know we've seen all this development around skytrain stations and 22nd street is going to explode it's just a matter of time like it's just a matter of time all those homes are I went and met with a, a few people there. Um, I, as you know, I do zero land acquisition. I don't do any single family stuff, but I was talking to a group. All their kids are gone. They're back to the same story. Right. They're looking to repatriate some cash. They want to go look at Naramata, maybe the island. They want to you know, make that next step in their life, maybe go to a condo. They may you know, buy in that building and, ha- and have a, a pied de terre here in, in, in the city. But that's an area. If you look around 22nd Street, it's gonna, that's going to be, that's going to explode. That's going to be one of them. It is interesting that you say that about that, the kind of unevenness of the, of the development story in New West, because partially too, like I'm thinking, what was the big it of the last of COVID? And it was Surrey, right? Like Surrey presale was, everybody was talking about, and New West just wasn't there. Slightly cheaper than West Side Town Hall. Yeah. Price per square foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're 1050 now, and a lot of that smaller kind of investor product. Right. New West, 975, 10, you know, thousand bucks a foot. Yeah. And New West is, yeah, that's and, well, one less bridge. You know, there's five SkyTrain stations. It's a community, uh, not to mention if you're growing, raising a family like sports, lacrosse, hockey, you know, soccer, there's just, it's got everything. They're building, they're redoing the Canada Games pool right now. Like the infrastructure play that's right. happening there is, is huge. And that was one, one of the pieces, sorry, just jumping back a second to um, the residence at Lynn Valley. That's where you'll see these infrastructure plays by the province or by this is dropping in. Like, you know, that's where the, the pool get upgraded and right. the rink gets upgraded. And as those waves happen in, in influx of, uh, of families. Right. Yeah. So just, right. I just wanted to touch on that because that's another piece you'll really start seeing there. Yeah, it's interesting. We haven't talked about New West in a long time. So you like New West. What else do you like? Oh, you know, Port Moody, of course, that's that's always on my radar. That's more condo. I love it for the families. I, I'm, I'm a little partial to the West Side. Uh, I love Olympic Village. I know there's not not a lot left there to, to, to do. But I, I'm starting to, when when I'm starting to look at it, at like Port Coquitlam, these smaller towns, especially down in the city center, we were engaged by a group and just we're talking to them right now about, you know, right downtown. Really interesting because it's going to be a local buyer, but I think you'll see people... 
we always assume people work downtown. So, you know, we have to make the assumption that people in Port Coquitlam, you might draw people from Ridge Meadows, from Pitt Meadows, you might draw them from, from um, you know, more of the Coquitlam side looking for some value. So these pockets tend to draw, you know, they may work downtown, but they may draw just from in that area. Right. And people are looking for ways to get in the marketplace. Like the value that's in a place like Port Coquitlam, I think is going to be exceptional. Just a matter of time. Yeah. Right. And in terms of maybe even just, because I, I know that, over the years you've worked throughout the province, are, what, what do you like? Do you, are there areas within the province that you like in general outside of the lower mainland? Oh, I have to say Victoria is tops for me. It used to be, you know, for, I hate the term, but the newlywed, the nearly dead, that sort of. Yeah. Right. And it's changed completely. Victoria has a draw from across Canada, and it's not just an older demographic. The people that are going to school there right now, finishing school, they're staying. So I think there's 880 tech companies, startup companies in Victoria alone. You know, that's in between one and 10 employees. You look at uh, how Langford is still, you know, tops in, in Canada for growth. Yeah. But all through Victoria, it's great climate year round, great community. You know, everything that's, that's to that neighborhood, Victoria is a, a lovely place. And then you have influx, like when we've worked there, it's been, you know, people from the States, you'll get a little bit of that, that have a connection to Canada. But Victoria, for people who've worked with government or they're there on business or they've gone to school there, it draws, it has a, it has a national draw. So I've seen the marketplace there alone and we, we invested there. We bought a one bedroom last October and their rents are really pretty on, close, yeah, pretty close, pretty close to, to us. Right? Yeah, yeah. They're really interesting. And, uh, and I just see, uh, they've always been very linear there. You know, prices don't jump sort of, they, things remain very steady, but there's been a, uptick in pricing and, and rents just recently. It's kind of shocking. The, the rent there's, there's not much of a gap between the, um, like the Okanagan, the Island now and Vancouver. It seems like that gap has narrowed in terms of, of what you get for say a one bed, a two bed. Uh, yes. Yep. Isn't it unbelievable? I mean, I feel like that used to be, there used to be quite a gap there. Yeah. I've got friends that their daughter went to UBCO in Kelowna and they went up there and they bought a two bedroom so they could see her. They would stay there and she, she had a room and, and they would come up all the time. And that became, let's jump in the car Friday at noon. We're up there by four o'clock. You know, we have the whole weekend up there, drive back Monday morning. So we're becoming, you know, even as your kids get older, Kelowna's not that far. You know, it's an easy drive, and especially with how they're developing their waterfront there. You know, right. that's that's going to be world-class destination. And I don't know, I was just thinking about something like One Water, like those rents are literally- 500 bucks like, for a one bed or like whatever. They're right? like downtown Vancouver rents. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Unbelievable. What do you see, um, you've been through a couple market cycles mm-hmm. here, and I know most people seem to, to suggest that we're in a, a particularly murky moment here in terms of crystal balls. Yep. But what about the next, the balance of this year, next one to three, five years out. What, what do you see here in, in Vancouver? Honestly believe, you know, the people who live in Vancouver love Vancouver. They really do. And there's not a lot of options available or coming on for them if they want to make that move. And it's a downsize or it's an upsize. We haven't had a lot of development the last couple of years. We all know not a lot's coming on. So I see Vancouver, it's a market that trades within itself. And I think you, Vancouver typically... When we get these slowdowns, people sit on their hands, listings drop, sales drop, people just wait it out. Unless you need to sell for whatever reason, you just don't. So you don't see that drop off. Yeah. Right. And we're hemmed in by mountains and water and border. And the people who are here, they love being here. You know, so even from people all over the world, you walk in the seawall, you hear every language from around the world. 
And it's wonderful that we become this, this place where people feel comfortable coming. And those people are looking to own or rent. So you just, I honestly think we don't have enough coming on. I think there's not enough rentals. I think there's more immigration that's going to happen really quickly, um, especially from, you know, groups, even from, from Hong Kong coming here. I think this, I read in the paper, there's 365,000 Canadian passports of people who are working in Hong Kong that may want to come back to certain parts of Canada. So there's that. Um, so I, I'm always going to be bullish on Vancouver because we tend to, and when I say bullish is, we don't see massive drop-offs in markets like this because people want to be here. You know, I love Saskatoon, but not in December. You know, so <laughs> so I think the bugs are bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, bug season or snow season. Yes. So yeah, I'm bullish. One year, three or five year, even if it does slow down, I'm going to go back to what I talked about: product. You know, really well done product, well thought out product is going to continue to sell, and there's not going to be a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's interesting. That's exactly, I feel like, the market we're in right now. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Craig, but we do have this segment called the Five Wire Five Lighthearted Questions to end the show. Can you stick around for that? Of course. Yes. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive, tried, and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the Lower Mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. All right. So first uh, first question is uh, one book that you'd recommend for our listeners. Oh, what is it? I'm reading it right now. A Man and His Watch. Very interesting. If if you have any interest in cars and watches, I know, but it's a really interesting read. What you've I'm, got an incredible watch right now. It looks like it's uh it's it's like blinding me across the table. <laughs> but but what is your your watch? You seem to be like a well manicured. Uh, no no no. But are you? But is it aesthetic or is it that like the tinkering? The kind of it's uh, I, I started, you sound like a watch guy. <laughs> is I, it the I, tinkering I, or the aesthetic? Yeah, is that, is that getting, how they talk? I started getting into watches twenty years ago, and maybe even a bit longer. And I started buying kind of like nineteen fifties Omegas and some you know when you could afford it, the old Rolexes. And they're very small; they're only thirty four mil. This would be like a forty four mil. Right. And then there's a market within, you know, you trade guys for, for watches, you get them some, you get them fixed and you sell them. And, and I really intrigued me the trade. And then you start kind of looking at watches and this is actually uh, funny. You caught me, uh, Colleen, if you're listening, my wife, I didn't buy this last week, but this is a, uh, this is <laughs> a 20, two weeks ago. <laughs> it's a, exactly two weeks ago. Um, there, it's a 2013, actually. It's a, it's an IWC. Uh, it's called an aqua timer. I really love a rubber band watch that you can wear, you know, at the gym, you can play tennis and you, you can like that. That's that summer watch. I got to call it. So uh, is, and what is it about watches? Because I was, what I was trying to get at is because you mentioned old cars mm-hmm. and kind of the, the mechanics of, I, that's what I was thinking, but maybe not. Is that, you know, as guys we have, you know, we have, uh, what is it? Cufflinks and tie pins and tie pins are obsolete. So we better buy old cars and watches because we have nothing left <laughs> to, to buy for ourselves. Yes. All right. Uh, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? You know, I'm going to say coming out of COVID, one thing that I focused on, I have to honestly say this, is we ran around with masks on, and I know how important that was. But we lost the art of smiling at each other. You know, you walk, you hold a door open, you smile, say good morning. 
it can change somebody's day. Just it takes two seconds to look them in the eye and smile. And that's something that I think is it's it's a bit of a lost art right now. We're trying to find it again. That's a good one. It is a good one. What have you been binge watching lately or a favorite movie? Oh, Yellowstone. Yeah. I was going to say, Craig, maybe not the personality, but you've got a bit of a, a bit of a Kevin Costner. Well, no, I was going to say the the guy who uh, the guy who would beat the hell out of. Kevin oh, <laughs> that's actually that's way yeah. more. Uh, yeah, yeah, you've got rip, a bit of that. Rip. You've got a rip. bit of a rip vibe, but uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. He's a handsome fella. I'm more of a hand model. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, I feel like we almost have to have at the end of this. We have to. We do have to hear some Russia stories. Yeah, but, uh, we'll get but, to the we'll get to the Russia. Okay, story. favorite band or music. Oh, for me, I'm going to say Chris Stapleton. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, that man, I, and I love his story, love everything, wonderful. Yeah. Man, for a guy like that lives in Olympic Village, uh, <laughs> you sound like you could live on a ranch somewhere. Take but the boy the, to merit. Can't take the merit <laughs> of the boy. <laughs> <laughs> last, last but not least, uh, something that you've purchased for under $1,500, so that takes the watch out of the, uh, out of the running, that's had a positive change on your impact on your life. Starter for the 66 GTO, so the car starts. Wow. <laughs> this, we got to up this budget, by the way. Exactly. Yes. Like... Oh, that's, uh, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little further. Is uh, every year I'm always surprised when hockey season starts because that bill comes in at about 800 or 900. But begrudgingly, I smile and pay it every time because I can't wait for the next 32 opportunities to be with the boys and, and chatting in the dress room. And, and maybe as a final, we got to, there's a couple stories we gotta we gotta <laughs> we bring gotta up, talk right? hockey stories because this is the thing like we we joked about we were gonna do a, a basically a hockey podcast this week with a little bit of real estate dabbled in throughout but mm-hmm. we haven't even talked about this but last time you were on you told the story of going to Russia yes for a yeah. hockey tournament now I'm gonna go back because that might have been Japan that we were at on that trip I'm trying to remember because Russia was December 2019 so it might have been. I'm trying, and I don't remember. I feel Japan like I remember well. one story about Russia hockey, but I'm not sure if it's the same one. So, so at Vince, who's been on before, and, and I'm sure some of our other guys will will be with you in the future. Um, we lie about how good we're supposed to be, and our plan was to go around the world and try and play all the national teams of countries we thought we could beat. So we've been <laughs> going <laughs> around. Great strategy. Is, <laughs> and you know, uh, Vince is always the one that's dri- driving this. So our next trip in in April of 2023 is we're heading to Dubai. We're playing in a tournament in Dubai, and then we're probably going to jet set off somewhere else. And we'll bring the, the wives and kids and everybody's coming. Yeah. We'll probably have a group of 40 or 50, and we've traveled countless, like 15 or 20 times as big groups, as big as 50 or 60. But, um, you know, it's uh, Dubai will be very interesting. because uh, What level of hockey could you possibly be up against in Dubai? Yeah, that we, you never know until you get there. When we yeah. played in Thailand, the rinks had square corners and there was nowhere to change. So... <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the stands with everything it was yeah. in the glory that God gave you, you know, and, and there's nowhere to hide. Uh, and they kept leaving the doors open. So it was so hot on the fifth floor in a mall where they had the rink is that the ceiling started to drip. And then the ice turned into almost like uh, like curling, like curling rink ice. So you couldn't handle puck. And all these guys who are expats that are playing in Hong Kong are laughing at us going, you guys haven't figured out how to play on this ice yet because the puck bounces all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had no nets behind, behind the, behind the goal. So you fire the puck, it, you know, goes off the hot dog vendor. Like there's just, there is, there's nothing in there. And the yeah. benches were five feet tall. So you jump over, you land on your head and they only had one door on the bench. And if you wanted to sit down, cause you're tired, you had to go sit in the stands that were 25 feet away. 
So the beauty of traveling around the world is we've seen the most outrageous rings. And I love the story that Vince Taylor and Bill Morrison tell. They went to Scotland and years ago, and these guys are so proud of this new rink. They're like, what do you think? And they showed them the dressing rooms. And they, they said, well, it's wonderful. Where's the other dressing rooms? Because they'd only designed a rink with two dressing rooms. So there's nowhere else for anybody to change for the next game that's coming on right after yeah, these yeah. guys on. So they're like, what do you mean more dressing rooms? <laughs> they never thought about that. They built this entire <laughs> But the, uh, the I'll go on the trip trip to Russia. It was uh, we have this wonderful guy who's a Canadian guy living in Moscow who I think he exports pigs and, and imports lumber or something. Canadian guy, but he runs these wonderful trips. So we went over and we landed in St. Petersburg, and it was it was December. It was beautiful, like it was cold, but it was really interesting. Our first trip was to a place called Karichi. And we get up there and in the window of all the stores were these pictures of the Vancouver Canucks with our team logo on them. And we're, we're like, oh, what have we got ourselves into? And then their picture was the Russian national team. So we get to the rink and you know, they actually took all the wives over to this uh, factory where they do taxidermy. They really wanted to show off what they do. And uh, so the girls are all seeing these stuffed animals over here. <laughs> well, we had a practice with their kids, with a bunch of their kids. And then the game starts and we come to the dressing room and, they all got those thunder sticks. There's 1,500 people that paid 10 bucks a head to see old people play hockey. And uh, th- this, was, this was spectacular because it was all building up to us playing Putin in Moscow. And I'll tell you that in a second. So we get out on the ice. You know, it's 5-5, 21 seconds left, and they scored. And they played We Are the Champions for nine minutes straight. It wouldn't stop. It was like the 72 Super <laughs> Series uh, over again for them. But. It went on and on and on. And finally, we just said, run out the clock. We're, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll lose this one. And then a three and a half hour bus ride back to St. Petersburg. But what an amazing place to travel. Uh, really interesting. You know, people very, very stoic. And then as the days we come back, we're coming back later and later every night, you yeah. know, <laughs> and then the smiles and they want to hear all the game was and everything else. So that was great. The whole idea is that we we're supposed to play Putin in Gorky Park. So we show up and there's all these cars. There's like Bentleys with two doors and it's middle of winter and they all got snow tires on them. And like G-Wagons, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and Gorky Park in the winter, they freeze like probably 10 kilometers of, of trails that you can actually skate on. And there's a rink in the middle. And we had to put our hockey bags through metal detectors. And I'm looking at them like, you know, there's skates in there. Like, what part yeah. of this? <laughs> but, but this is Putin's ice time. And all of his guys are there. And they all show up in those purple velour tracksuits with like four cell phones. And I'm not sure what this is all about, but we get changed. We get out there. But it turns out that weekend, uh, Bure and Fedorov and the guys were playing in the Legends of Hockey tournament. So Mr. Putin wasn't there that day, but it would have been very interesting to see where that goes because we didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, it turns out there's a guy, Scotty, who is a part owner in the Kunlun Red Stars in China in the KHL. And he was playing with us. He knows a couple of guys. And this is their ice time as a group. So we were connected. Well, I, I've heard a story or I saw a video maybe of Putin playing where it was like, everybody's diving out of the way. <laughs> well, that's what we were, we were afraid of. Like, can we actually have a game here and have some fun? And yeah, yeah, that was uh, the, the best part is when we did play uh, Ska, uh, which is the, uh, in St. Petersburg, that's her KHL team. They have a, like an alumni, like a Canucks alumni. And we get out there dancing around the ice and warm up thinking we're all that only to get, we're down eight, one in the first period. You, you realize right away. <laughs> yeah. We're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. But, yeah, this is the, and in between there, we've had some really fun trips. Uh, we were in, we played in an outdoor tournament in Central Park, February of 2020. 
And that's another one where all these hedge fund guys show up. They all got hockey bags from their last to when they just quit playing in the ECHL. So I'm like, oh, I know that team. Oh, we're in trouble here. Yeah. But playing in that outdoor tournament, that was wonderful to play outdoors in Central Park. Um, we played in a wonderful tournament in Nashville. Uh, the year before, and that was Stu Grimson showed up with all his guys. If you remember Stu Grimson, yeah, yeah, yeah. he shows up with his guys, and they, he's living in like North Carolina. And, it, and we had a great, great game and just had a ton of fun. And, and so, but you guys all played uh, really competitive hockey because if you're playing yeah. Stu yeah. Grimson, it's like, yeah, you better be. It was a really, that was a, that was a great game. There's a couple, there's some, you know, when you play with pro players, you, you know, you know, there's guys that, that, and why they went farther. But to travel around with a group and, you know, we're, our average age now is probably, you know, 54, 55 as oh. a group. So you get, we bring a couple of ringers on those big pro, on those big turn trips. I'll bring some kids maybe just, just out of BC junior that are, you know, sons of, of, of one of the guys on the team or something like that, because we, we need a little help. Yeah. But uh, also, you know, you forget we were playing like fully competitive hitting hockey, like contact hockey up until about eight, nine years ago when we were, we played the Spanish national team. We had two guys with dislocated shoulders, you know, that were in their forties in the first game. So yeah, it was, uh, we played in Spain and then we actually got to play inside of FC Barcelona. They have a rink inside of FC Barcelona. And after the game, they took us over and put us at that field level to watch a soccer game. So it's, we've had some really neat experiences. Yeah. Man, and this is Vince Taylor's doing. Yeah, oh yes, yeah, the yeah, the uh, the silver tongue. Yes, he gets <laughs> us involved in things we shouldn't be involved in. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's an open division. Don't worry about that. Yes, we get there and like, oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's amazing. That's well, great. Well, Craig, how can people find out more about what you're up to at Magnum Projects and uh, yeah, learn more about you? Yeah, most, uh, you'll see me right now up at Grace, the townhomes I was telling you about that, right. that we've launched for uh, Vicini, the Con West guys. Um, that's at uh, sales centers at Heather and 17th. Um, we've just kind of come out of, we're right in the middle of our preview period. So this is exciting times to see. And, you know, once again, talking about product, if you want to check the boxes, that's something you should come by and just look at just to educate yourself on the marketplace. You know, when good product comes along and you see it, you kind of nod and go, okay, I get it. I yeah. get it. But it's one that's really worth checking out. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Craig, for your time. And that was, uh, that was great. Thanks, guys. As always, it's a lot of fun. All right. And there you have it, folks. That was Craig Anderson, VP of Sales, Magnum Projects. Yeah, really enjoyed that conversation with Craig. Always great having him in the studio. And he's got like, I know you haven't listened to this interview before, but Craig has some of the best stories about traveling around and playing hockey and like he's been everywhere. It's uh, such a fascinating guy. And also like anyone in our industry will know who Craig Anderson is just because he's he's kind of a staple. He's been he's been around for a very long time and uh, he's been working in pre-sales for a long time. So who better than Craig to join us at this moment in the market? What a great conversation. I wish I could have been there. Yeah. And and uh, I don't know. Right now, like Matt's away, it seems to me like everybody's away. Is that how you feel as well? Absolutely. I feel like everyone I know is out of town right now. Yeah. And it's weird. It's uh, the market seems really slow, but it also feels like everyone I'm talking to is just focused on family right now. I feel like that's going to continue on for the next few weeks for sure. But I could see us getting the market picking up to some extent in September. I'm preparing for it for sure. 
Yeah. And I'm also starting to see opportunities out there. And I'm sure you are as well. Seems like that time. The next few weeks seems like it it would be a good time to start monitoring. Yeah, for sure. And if people want to get in touch to set up a PCS account, Melissa, how can they do that? They can go to our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Right. And you can sign up for PCS because if you're not using PCS, you're standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips. You just have to head over vancouverrealestatepodcast.com slash PCS. It's all there for you. And uh, we just sent out the stats. We just sent out some opportunities in pre-sale. I think there's going to be some assignment opportunities coming, I would expect, for people that are nervous about interest rates. I'm seeing it already. You're already seeing it? Absolutely. Yeah. So we are sharing those as well on our email list. So if you want to definitely set up a PCS account, or if you just want to monitor the market, get stats, get pre-sale opportunities, get assignment opportunities, you need to be on our mailing list. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com or how can people get in touch with you? You can reach me at 778-869-4477 or Melissa at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We've also got that Kokomo line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Okay, guys, have a great week. Thanks for listening. Yeah, and we'll see you next week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.